Rise and shine, Mr. Freeman. Rise and shine. Welcome back to another episode of Mouse and Joystick, this time for the month of April in the year of 2017. I'm your host, Kyle, and as always, joined by my two co-hosts, Michael and Noah. Uh, greetings to each and every one of you, and uh, hope you had a good month since the last time we had an episode. So, since uh, the last time we've had an episode, there's been multiple pieces of news and some new games been playing. I'm ready to get into this. Um... But first thing before we get into any of that is I want to kind of introduce segment we we may be getting into here is more of a discussion topic of the month sort of thing. Uh, and I want to start off first just kind of like um, just addressing the audience saying maybe maybe in the future if you want to have us discuss a certain topic, you know, you can submit your questions to us on Facebook, Twitter, or email us at mouseandjoystick at gmail.com and we will answer your questions at this point of every episode um but for now let's go ahead and start off with a topic i looked for and one i found pretty interesting was um just something we can kind of discuss and that was uh what sort of things we look for in a game when we're like looking to play a new game for example yeah what what is it that like when you see a trailer or when you're looking for a game to play what is it you're exactly looking for when you're trying to decide what you're going to play like any new game or like like any specific? game um like are you, are you looking for like a story do you look for maybe a unique set of mechanics that you can't find anywhere else i gosh i look into so many different things Normally, it doesn't have to be everything that I look for to for me to like go get it. Normally, if it hits one point really hard, I'll be like, "Yeah, I'll get that." Um, but normally, I look for good story, good storytelling. You know, not just gonna be like all shoot 'em up, kill 'em for no reason type thing. Um, I look for uh, not. I'm not picky on good graphics but it always is better when a game looks nice you know um yeah uh i do look at developer who's developing the game uh if i've heard of them if i know they're good at game good at making games if i know that they have a bad reputation say like the people who made uh um no man's sky or something like that <laughs> um i i personally like uh RPGs and open world type games, so I look for that. Um, I don't know. My best, my easiest way to look for games though is through friends because they'll be talking about things, and I'll they'll like ask me to look at like tell me to look something up, and I'll I'll find interest in that that way. Right. Um, so like, 
Is there, is there something that a, a critic or a reviewer could say that would just instantly sell you on the game? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't trust crit- game critics much off- very often anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, uh, at least it seems like they are very uh, paid off when it comes to <laughs> how they're going to rate a game. Like, they can rate very good games pretty bad, and they can rate really bad games pretty good. So, um, I don't know. Uh, I I understand. I I can feel the the same way at times. Um, really, the the only real opinion you can trust sometimes is yourself. But uh, yeah. So you know, sometimes you got to do your own little research and find find those things that uh, like you mentioned, the things that generally stick out to you as something you want to experience. Um, how, how about you now? Like, what are what are some things you look for whenever you're trying to decide what game to purchase? Um, <clears throat> well, I'd say my tastes have changed over the years because, like, I used to like the single player RPG kind of games. So, like, uh, Forza was one of my big staples. Um, you know, the Elder Scrolls series, I like those. Uh, so those are all good. Like the open world RPG was really attractive to me, and like uh, simulation racing games were pretty big. But now, um, I don't really necessarily look for story driven narratives. I look more for like a scalable game. When I say scalable, is like replay value mm-hmm. or like the longevity of playing it. So like those usually tend to be multiplayer games. Like now, I'm starting to build up like a couch co-op section, right? My library, and then uh, a few other games that I play regularly are either like arena-style multiplayer games, like first-person shooters, uh, survival, uh, uh, Civ. I mean, that's pretty much the only. I guess you could call it single-player, but I really only. I don't know. I probably equal. Oh, that's not true. I probably have more <laughs> hours in it single player than playing with you guys. So, right. Yeah. It's, easy. it's really easy to rack up hours <laughs> in that game. I mean, that, yeah. that's true. But yeah, so multiplayer is a big plus. I wouldn't say necessarily a first person shooter because I'm starting to diversify what multiplayer games I have. Um, but all I I have spent some quality hours and some first-person shooters. Absolutely. I'd say multiplayer me- mechanic-wise, maybe some survivability or like sandbox type like graphics. I usually tend to like it on the higher quality side. It necessarily doesn't have to be realistic because there's some games that I like to have kind of a more artistic style rather than realistic um narrative doesn't really have to be there unless it's like a storyline i really care about like halo one that one that you're already invested in yeah um yeah that's pretty much what gets me into a game right on good uh good right here um yeah so i mean uh, i'll just chime in myself briefly here but i do tend to really enjoy the interactive narrative aspects that some games can have so um that's why I tend to find myself a lot of, a lot of time getting invested in these longer RPG-like games. And 
Uh, another thing that kind of just contributes right into that specifically is like uh, you know, the replay value or something that's going to give me a lot of value for my dollar. So if it's like, you know, like a lot of content or not as much, that that's very appealing. Although, you know, I still want it to be good. So, you know, the idea that you can, you can have a 10 hour game that's great, but then there's also the 50 hour game, which is maybe it's just okay. You do have to weigh the pros and cons of that sort of situation. I, I do tend to favor the longer ones. I can get more invested into um, the characters and characters in the game like that. But, uh, yeah, so um, I don't have, really have any more to add on that topic. I thought it was just, just something interesting to bring up, maybe get a little discussion going before we uh, dive into some of the news that's happened since we did an episode. Uh, the first one I really want to talk about is uh, the fact that the specifications for the upcoming Xbox Scorpio have been revealed. And uh, Noah, as the, the tech guy, I want to get your input on how the Scorpio matches up against some of the other consoles and how you think it's going to do on its own as a, as a standalone machine. Yeah, coming at it from the view of just looking at the specs and hardware, it, I mean, it doesn't look as impressive you would think they are hyping it up to be. Um, coming at it from a console perspective, I believe it's the most powerful coming to market so far. I'm pretty sure it sure um, is, yeah. I mean, it has 12 gigabytes of DDR5 RAM, which, I mean... That's, that's really good even for arguably, <laughs> It's arguably, you know, a bit higher than most computers because they've recommended 8 gigabytes, I mean, for the longest time. Uh, it's got an 8-core, 2.3 gigahertz uh, CPU. So like probably AMD architecture, I would assume. That's just because everybody's trending that way. Yeah, I want to say it is. I've been using AMD for the previous generation. So I mean, it's a low clock speed, but I feel like since it's dedicated hardware, it'll be fine. I don't think it, most of the consoles have been bottlenecked by CPUs. No, I wouldn't say so. Uh, the GPU is probably the most impressive out of all the specs it's uh 1100 megahertz i think what is it i have a dx 1080 which runs at like okay never mind that's like 10,000 okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> whoops <laughs> yeah and so yeah we're looking at it top down from hardware it's not that great but what we learned is that this is dedicated and built for a specific platform, so it's not going to be like, you know, a whole bunch of jigsaw pieces coming together to play some of these games. These developers are working on games specific for this hardware. And from what we've seen from, like, the early uh, glimpses from developers talking about it is that they can, they've been able to hit the 60 frames per second at 4K, native 4K. Mm -hmm. Um but, I mean, that was a exclusive Xbox game that has been for years, just one of the Forza series. Right, yeah, but man, um, they managed to hit that uh, that benchmark there with, like, what was it, just a couple of days of work? Not, not barely anything at all? Right. They said they pretty much ported it straight over to work, like, just, just enough to work on the new hardware, and they were doing, like, 60 at 4K at, like, 86% GPU usage. Pretty impressive. Something like that. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you don't know what, what behind that is. If like they're writing like the test build that they're using or something like that, but that looked promising. Um, how non Microsoft studios are going to do, I don't know, but I mean, most of the console games now aren't that intensive. Like, I mean, Call of Duty's never been that difficult to run. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of like cross-platform games that would be intensive on it. Like maybe if the new Crisis comes out, or I'm curious to see how maybe uh, like a, a Rockstar game would. Run. Right, like in Red Dead Two. I just feel like since consoles have been the standard for so long, that games have just been built to run well on them. So it's not going to matter that much. It's just they needed the horsepower to get to the 4K. But I feel like it'll do the job. Uh, whether or not it'll be smooth at launch or that, you know, it's only Xbox exclusives that will do it. Like if that's an asterisk in there somewhere, that's the real right. question. But, what I mean, I... Go ahead. I was going to say, I wonder what made them think uh, 4K is so much of a priority. Like, uh, but, how much? I wonder how I mean, much if you think about priority. it, it's just how hardware evolution works is like you know we had 480 which was considered hd at once one time yeah uh and then we had 720 then 1080 was the standard for so long and it was good enough that nobody really like wanted to move it up or anything now 4k is just the next step it's just nobody wants to move up because everybody just kind of settled with 1080 for a while <laughs> 1080p is still pretty good i mean it <laughs> is good it's just once you've seen 4k running at native resolution it's really hard to go back understandable I still have. I don't think I've ex really experienced the 4K the way it's meant to be displayed just yet. Right, because I mean it's still expensive. Um, I know uh, monitors for computers are expensive. You can get a pretty cheap TDD under like a a grand, I believe now. But it'll just take a couple more years till where people get into the game and drive prices down, and everybody will start picking them up, and other hardware start supporting it. We'll get there eventually, but I don't. I don't think it's going to be until the next console generation where it really embraced, right? Because um, I mean, there's a lot of things are still s stream driven, and that's like a bandwidth issue, and that's kind of like an international issue, where like the infrastructure is not really set up to where everybody can have speeds that supports 4K. Um, well, I probably won't pick it up just because I've invested a lot in my computer recently. I have an Xbox One. They said they're going to continue to support it. But if you're someone who doesn't have a computer and wants to play 4K. This could potentially be an affordable option. Right. Because, I mean, if they launch for the you know $650 to $800 price range, 4K gaming is probably at least like a $1,200 investment, I want to say. Mm, yeah, normally, yeah. Because um, trying to get a 4K computer at eight, like 750 800 bucks is going to be a stretch. I'm sure you could do it. You're going to be asterisk. skipping a lot of features for that. <laughs> um, and whether or not you'd be able to get it to run at 60 frames is an even bigger challenge. So. so, I mean, it's a good bang for your buck. Um. And with like the integration of, you know, the similarities between PC and Xbox, it might even become more valuable as the months come, and they release more features for the Xbox, and 
stuff like that. So we'll see how it goes. Right. Um, I do believe that uh, with E3 coming up soon, um, Microsoft is probably going to be going all in on the Scorpio, at least for, at least for this year. And uh, we presented a lot more details, a lot more on it come June. So uh, we, we'll probably uh, follow up with Scorpio details then. But um, and just another news, uh, kind of related, but not 100%. Um, apparently, there are there's plans for Microsoft to start incorporating a self-service refund system for digitally purchased Xbox One and Windows 10 games. Uh, so a lot in the way, a lot like the way the Steam has been doing it, where the as long as you're under a certain amount of time played or you're a certain length into the game, uh, you can pretty much just refund the game. No question. Good feature that's going to be coming to Xbox members. Uh, and then uh, probably yeah yeah here we go. So uh, probably one of the bigger game releases of the year um, was kind of confirmed. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last episode. For concrete details on the upcoming Destiny 2. It is going to be released on September 8th this year with access, early access to the beta coming to PlayStation owners, I believe. But the game is expected to launch on Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and PC this time around. Um, I think, Michael, you're the only one that's really played Destiny here amongst three. Um... Although I will, I will open up this question to everyone. Uh, is there any interest from you guys in this game? I know it's kind of it's kind of a grindy loot shooter, so you know it's not necessarily the most appealing thing. But I'm just curious to see where everyone's aligned with that. If uh, I knew I know that with the uh, DLC they were going like in better places than they were with the just like original no DLC game. So I think if they keep going, if they kept going in that direction um, with this game, I feel like it should be better than Destiny 1 and possibly a pretty good pickup. Um, it, I'm guessing that the multiplayer thing is still going to be the same, probably just a little bit more rewarding. Um, I think it, I might eventually get it if uh, you know it goes on sale one time or everyone gets it because... Uh, <laughs> It is. It's a lot more fun with groups, especially if you have to do all those uh, all the raids, things. all the raids and stuff. Yeah. I, I personally, yeah, I, I have a, I have a couple of good friends of mine who are, you know, are super in the desk every weekend, and just just hearing how, just hearing from them how Destiny has managed to turn itself around from its launch throughout through the expansions and how like what it is today. Is almost completely different than when it's a launch, and how right now it is actually a very good MMO esque first person shooter on the consoles. I'm very interested to see how they're going to improve on that now that they're not really constrained by the previous generation. Uh, I, I'm, I'm actually very curious on jumping in just based on what I've heard of how Dustin is nowadays. I, I'm probably going to end up jumping into this about this one. Yeah, if. If they want me to get into it, I'd say put some worth into the different classes. Don't make them like clones of each other. Mm -hmm. And then work on the narrative a little bit better. Because oh, like yes. I know I said I'm not really into single player, but I played through um, all the DLC and the main story with a friend of mine on the Xbox. And like I've seen 
some bad narratives and I've seen some good narratives and this is like tended towards the bad narrative side. Did you play did you have that one guy narrating though, or was did you play it after he got like taken out? I don't know who you're referring to. I got it the, uh, way Peter, after Peter launch. Dinklage. Yeah, did you have did you have Peter Dinklage? I no? may have, I don't remember. Did you have Tyrion Lannister <laughs> narrating for you? Uh, I I'd spent a long time. <laughs> okay. It, I, he was narrating mine, and that made it, that made it a lot better. But I do agree, the story was a uh, hard to follow. Um, and like map design was like really poor. Yeah, it felt like a it. straight up MMO, like a free to play MMO when I played it. Ooh. Same map. You're just like, oh, go to this map six times. Like really. But yeah, that's just me. So yeah, uh, flesh out the classes so you actually feel like classes. Uh, maybe work on the storytelling. You're Bungie, for God's sake. <laughs> uh, and then change up how like traveling works because like the hub system was really killing the... Uh, what's it called? The immersion? The immersion, yeah. Immersiveness. Oh yeah, it was like... Uh, it was... That made it a lot like the um, MMOs for the PC, the hub world. I was like, these could be menus, and it would make no difference. <laughs> Curious to see what comes of this game. Um, yeah, the Destiny community very, very hyped for this. Um, as you know, as I understandable, uh, considering how long they've had a bit of Destiny One and all that, but. Uh, Yep, it's probably going to end up being one of the best-selling games of this year, regardless, I think. Um, you know, good competition from, like, Red Dead to Call of Duty, of course, but uh, I'm curious to see where all the all the sales figures are going to lie by the end of this year when it comes. Uh, but another uh, big shooter-related news, um, we got some details about the upcoming Battle Star Wars Battlefront sequel. Um, EA basically came out and kind of made a statement just... Just kind of addressing the changes that are going to be coming from uh, Battlefront 2. And it really does seem like they may be listening to feedback from the fans when they're making the sequel here. I, I know that's you know something they're, they're supposed to be doing, but it doesn't always seem like that. Uh, but like DICE came out and said that, yes, there's going to be a single-player campaign. We're going to have actually fleshed-out characters. It's going to be canon for the new Star Wars series. Uh, we're going to have space battles back. Uh, we're going to have characters from all eras in the multiplayer, so you can play as the clone troopers, or the clone wars heroes, new new era, and you know, like Kylo Ren and all that. Like They're all in there. Uh, classes are going to make it a comeback, so rather than being loadouts, custom loadouts, it's now like predetermined classes. You have to level up each class to get new gear from that class. And, and of course, they said there's going to be no season pass DLC for this game probably all going to be just microtransaction cosmetic stuff which i'm okay with i am not compelled to buy that stuff as long as i'm not buying new weapons or characters and stuff. But like did uh yeah. did ea get like a new person to cover like all of their like public relations shit because they are doing like everything completely different this year as opposed to like every everything else they've done recently like in the past couple of years i know man it's really weird this is like some weird yeah. bizarro universe ea was working with here i know they're like this... no dlc this uh <laughs> this is what 
Battlefront should have been yes a year ago. Yeah. It has like all the all the classic parts of it, but it's gonna be brought into a new generation. What we asked for. Hopefully what we'll get. Hopefully. Because the the trailer I saw looked like a game I would buy instantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they had really good trailers for the first one. And they were pretty looking trailers. I'll give them that. But uh, I don't know. As, like as the a narrative they're setting up in that story felt like Bad Company Two esque. Oh, how like there's a the, the the imperial troops are like defecting to do their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super interested to see where that goes. Um, as a big diehard Star Wars fan, um. I'm liking everything they they were saying about Battlefront 2, uh, especially since, you know, I, I was actually kind of turned off of Battlefield 1 completely, which is a shame because the, the yeah, first two Battlefields were game. some of my favorite games of all time. And then after playing the beta for Battlefront, well, those previous Battlefront, I was just like, nope, I'm not touching that. This is not Battlefront. This is not even a Battlefield-skinned game. I, I, don't, I don't know what that was. It was some weird, dumbed-down hybrid of a game. Yeah. I'm hoping that uh, once they start releasing more details about the actual gameplay, that it's not as brain dead, but like maybe a little bit more more tactical. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to what they have in store for that game. It's it's going to be another one on my radar as we move into the fall of this year. Going to be uh, mighty busy. Um, and then, you know, speaking of the the fall. Even more game announcements in the uh, the shooter genre here. Uh, we got some more details on the upcoming Call of Duty World War II. It was officially titled, so now we now we can confirm that it is going to be a World War II themed Call of Duty game. And uh, some of the things they showed were, um, they, they kind of talked about how it was going to be the definitive World War II campaign for the modern gaming era. Going to feature boots in the ground multiplayer, and of course. The uh, high-octane co-op mode with zombies is going to be returning with an all-new story. Um, this time it's going to be developed by Sledgehammer Games, who made the Advanced Warfare Call of Duty. Um, curious to see your guys' reaction to this, considering I think we're all kind of tired of the whole Call of Duty thing, but this one seems to be going back to its roots. It's, um, thoughts? Opinions? Uh, still skeptical. They only did a cinematic. Mm-hmm. So I don't have no idea how it's going to turn out. I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> I will probably be getting it just before, <laughs> just for the zombies. And I mean, I always do like to try out their multiplayer. Um, is it Treyarch or is it Infinity Link? It's uh, it's Sledgehammer. Oh. Um. Wait, did they made the last one that just came they, out? They made Advanced Warfare, which was uh, the first one of the, the jumping thing, the jumping gimmick. And they're going back to no jumping. Basically, yeah. Maybe. Although I do have to, I do have to appreciate how Sledgehammer comes in as the third studio, the one that kind of just has to catch up to the others in a sense. And yeah, it seems like they're the ones that are innovating these Call of Duty games. They're like, we're going to be the first one of these studios to do the whole jumping sci-fi thing. And then the other two studios are going to copy them. And then in this one, they're like, okay, we're going to go back in time and we're going to do more of a bare bones, back to like roots kind of Call of Duty. 
I'm really curious to see if Treyarch ends up following suit uh, in 2018 or if, uh, or what they're going to be doing with that. But uh, yeah, it, World at War 2. I would be 100% okay with that. I loved World at War. So I am hoping this one is kind of like that. If it actually is, I'd, I'd be down. I'd, I'd probably be picking it up. I mean, there's a lot of... I feel like, even though, like, the... Uh their World War II games cover a lot of like, you know, campaigns of the war of the war. I feel like there's still so much that they've never done in a Call of Duty game for World War II. Like they feel like there's a lot more that they could do that they've never tried, you know? Right. Yeah, that that is kind of a kind of a knock against this game because they in the, in the live stream event that they were going having a what they put on uh they basically were focusing very much on the fact that this is going to be a campaign centered around the uh, American campaign on the Eastern Front, uh, right after D-Day. Like, I, th- I think they might have said like something along that. Like, they said that like D-Day was like one of the first missions in the entire game, and then like everything else happens after that. That's a uh, yeah. That that's what I always didn't like about um, a yeah. lot of the Call of Duty yeah, games I mean, like, was we, that we've seen that. Before. Other than um, one of them. I think they focused mostly on the American and I wanted to be like, I mean, the British were in this war. The, there was a ton of people in this war that they just never touched on, you know? I called it two is fantastic. I mean, there is that American campaign in the, in Europe with D-Day and all that, but then there was the, uh, the, uh, the European campaign in Africa, the desert area. That was cool. And then there was uh, the Russian campaign in the, of the snow, like of Moscow. So there, there was some good variety there. Even World of War had a bit of variety with the uh, the Russian campaign and the was it American oh, you campaign. You started out at Iwo Jima, don't you? Yeah, yeah. There, you started off at Iwo Jima, so you actually got to see a bit of the uh, Japanese theater going on. That would like, yeah. There's so much they could do. I wonder if they're gonna do uh, Pearl Harbor. That would be cool. It'd be interesting to see in a Call of Duty game, especially considering how big and cinematic they like to get with their. Right. Uh, yeah, so, you know, um, as far as uh, fans of shooters go, there's a lot to look forward to this year. Um, just kind of like how last year, I'm almost worried that there's going to be too many options and people are going to have to start picking and choosing and leaving some in the, some in the dust there. Uh, but one, uh, one more game announcement before we move on to some stuff. Uh, so apparently Total War Warhammer 2 was announced, which... I, I kind of surprised me at first because I feel like the previous Total War Warhammer just came out. Am I, am I crazy? Or am I just like totally um, losing track of time? I, I don't really follow like, the... Was that the one that I've been talking about that I wanted to get us to all... Yeah, like, I could have sworn it just came out last year. Yeah, it did. It came out in yeah, 2016. It's, uh, it hasn't been out very long. and There's still DLC coming out for it. <laughs> guess they had uh, ambitious ideas. Um, yeah, so, you know, we haven't gotten around to playing the, the other Total Warhammer, but, uh, you know, any interest in the second one? Does it make you want to play the first one more? Um, probably, yeah. I'd probably get the first one before I try to get the second one. Because I, you know, it, it'll be cheaper and we need to learn the controls and all that. I've been, I've been really wanting to get back in the Total War games. I haven't played one since, oh man, what was it? Uh, Total War... Medieval 2 or something like that? Like one that was a long time ago. 
like right after Total War Rome. Yeah. Yeah, that was I, that just kind of caught me by surprise. I didn't expect him to announce that. So, it's like maybe next year. Um. So, uh, as far as uh, the next piece of news we have, um, Twitch announced an affiliate program, which was designed to be more of a stepping stool between the small-time casual streamers and the partnered streamers. Uh, the idea behind the affiliate program is once you are enrolled in it, you do get access to basic monetary functions like the the tipping and the uh, commercial access uh, so for those that are looking to break into the world of streaming or just have a small-time streamer that they're a big fan of there are now more ways to kind of support them along the way to come into full-time uh, and uh, super impressed with the actual requirements for this because they basically twitch basically opened the floodgates for monetary for people to monetize what they do they they basically made it so that they went from I think which had was it like ten thousand no not even that like less than that they had a few thousand partnered broadcasters and then with the introduction of this system they basically just like multiplied it by a hundred times because Please. the requirements for getting the affiliate for becoming an affiliate with Twitch is you need to have at least fifty followers average three viewers and stream at least seven days a month with a total of 500 minutes broadcasted, which is only eight hours in a month. So it's like, it's nothing. Uh, but like super low requirements to get into this program. So I'm, which is uh, really going to try to embrace more of the uh, casual streamers here for those that want to get into the whole ecosystem that they have built. So it's, it's kind of a cool thing that they've been doing with it. Uh, I, I, I don't. Awesome. I, I know that uh, none of you guys are streamers. I was just curious to see if you had any thoughts or opinions on how, with with the backing from Amazon, Twitch is going to end up that platform for. I mean, it makes sense with YouTube kind of in the gray area right now. Yes, that's right. They have a this uh, have this a announcement big chance to grow. Announcement came off like right after YouTube kind of started dropping the ball on the monetization. They've been really poor with their communication to their community, but um, uh, I, I could see them picking up some people because YouTube was kind of like the easy way into streaming, and then once you did well there, you'd branch out to other platforms. Yeah. Because it was free, and it was a big market, and a lot of the tools were there. This might change it with like some of the changes to... YouTube, because I know now you have to have at least 10,000 subscribers to start uh, monetizing your videos on YouTube. That's that's kind of crazy. I mean, not, not that they even have 10,000 subscribers. But, I mean, that cuts out pretty much the fledglings. I've, this I've... might open up uh, Twitch to be a more beginner-friendly platform. Oh, yeah, totally. I've even been seeing some of the big, very YouTube-focused people coming over for for things. Uh, I know PewDiePie has been doing like a weekly show on Twitch now, and uh, what's his face? H three H three has been uh, doing more and more Twitch stuff to yeah. kind of just supplement his uh, his YouTube. Uh, so it's it's been cool to see those kind of people crossing over and mixing in with more of uh, the Twitch crowd, which has been leading to some interesting results just from the. You know, it sucks for the people who make a living off YouTube because they 
don't have a handle on their own platform, but you're I mean, totally at the mercy for, for Twitch people, I guess. Good and bad because it's going to create an influx of people, which saturate the markets a little bit more. But I mean, it'll also help them grow. Yeah, it's kind of kind of like a double-edged sword. Uh, but very interested to see how it's uh, it's going to grow from there. As uh, I believe they, you know, just as far as some of the that you would want to get as a streamer, uh, they they mentioned that in the future they're going to start offering you know the Twitch affiliates their own custom emotes, even the ability to start selling games through, through the platform. So I expect it to start growing quite substantially, especially now production of like the Twitch client which was formerly known as Curse Gaming and uh, some of those other. And uh, it's been cool to see them growing so rapidly. And then, yeah, uh, and Twitch has always been a community too. Like, for the most part, um, the streamers are all awesome. Um, and uh, it's really awesome. I like that uh, they, are, they literally are making it so that, like, if, any, if anyone really wants to make go like give it a try and see if they can uh become a streamer they they now have the chance to instead of like you know having to put literally years before they can even decide well no i guess i'm not gonna make it right like before you there was basically just like cliff face you would face if you're trying to break into being a streamer you would just go yeah. you know this all this time with no options for monetizing what you're making it was just kind of just you and that was about it and eventually you would hit this cliff face, which was the partnership barrier. And if you somehow managed to overcome that by just by sending an application, though, boom, all of a sudden you get commercials you get a Twitch partner spotlight. You get all this other benefits. Like it's like, you've, you've made it. Here's, here's your golden ticket. But now, now there's actually like stepping there's, there's steps leading up to the top of that cliff. Like you can, you can start working your way towards there in a more gradual sense. Yeah, you don't have to like d rock climb up the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> but I attach my climb gear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, then uh, some not so good news. Um, third party peripheral maker Mad Cats has filed for bankruptcy and will no longer be around. I don't know how many people are going to be really sad about the fact they can't go out and buy Mad Cats controllers anymore. Um, that was a long time ago. Despite the fact, I'm pretty sure everyone at one point had a Mad Cats controller. At one point, or their friend did, or something. This this is the controller you give to your little brother, so he stops complaining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so um, I mean, kind of makes sense. There's just there's been other third party uh, peripheral makers that have come out and made better stuff for cheaper. So it kind of just makes sense that eventually Mad Cats would get pushed out of the way. Although, yeah. I, I, although I do hear Mad Cats' uh, fighting game sticks were pretty good. I don't know if uh, they're going to be able to sell those assets to another company to continue making them or what happened with that. But uh, yeah, they could probably sell the uh, the patent if they had it patent. For those that are super into them, I hopefully they get an opportunity. Uh, and then and another, <laughs> some more sad news. Uh, Nintendo has discontinued its NES Classic Edition, which was the plug-and-play version of the NES, which came pre-packaged with 30 games. 
Uh, and despite the fact that the demand for this has been sky high since end of last year and has been impossible to keep on the shelf, much in the same way the Nintendo Switch has been, the NES Mini was discontinued before people really got a chance to actually get it. And they didn't really give a reason why they discontinued it, although uh, Eurogamer did post a rumor from their sources saying that the reason why they canceled the NES Mini was in favor of releasing an SNES Mini later this year. Super Nintendo Mini, I guess you say. Uh, no details on what to expect from that, but I'm willing to bet that the demand for that is going to be even higher than the NES Mini. I hope Nintendo is prepared for just the absolute storm of people that are going to be flooding to the stores to try to get that when they release it. <laughs> Something tells yeah, me they won't be. They never are. Honestly, if they actually did end up releasing an SNES Mini, I want to be one of those lucky few people that get that thing. Because it <laughs> it's going to be like 30 of the greatest games of all time on one little easy-to-move device. It's like you're going to have your Super Mario Land. You're going to have, well, no, Super Mario World, that is. Uh, Yoshi's World. The three Donkey Kong Country games. Some Final Fantasy classics. Uh, Super Metroid. Uh, Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. Other stuff like that. Sure, there's a lot of others that I forgot to mention that people are going to rip my face off for. A of games. How much were they selling that for? Uh, the NES Mini was $60 and you got 30 games. Yeah, that. That's a good deal. That, that is, but it's gone. It, it's it's never to be seen because Nintendo is like, oh, we don't like money. They, yeah, now they're gonna like that. Those things are gonna sell for like hundreds and hundreds of dollars now. I wouldn't be surprised. Let's um, actually gonna see this classic. Wow, like I'm not even seeing any on eBay or anything. Right now. Love them, man. They don't even want to sell them. Oh, there we go. <laughs> There's an NES Classic Edition for like $140. The training price is $225. Wow. <laughs> it was sold for 60 Well then. Yep, so um, definitely going to have to be careful. Don't try to get yourself ripped off now. Uh, moving on to more Nintendo-related news. Kind of surprising, but not really. There was a, an announcement for a Minecraft Switch edition, which is going to feature split-screen co-op, and it has a release date of May 11. Uh As much as I don't want to buy Minecraft again, I have to admit that the Switch edition is a match made in heaven. Just be yeah. able to play Minecraft anywhere you want. Even in the car. With, with split yeah, screen. without having to bring your laptop or something. <laughs> the split screen is really what gets me there. Even though it's a you know, small screen, just, you know, being like, hey, you know, go build something really cool. I think it, I think it could be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, maybe at this point, I think most people have like two or three copies of Minecraft. Already. But <laughs> those, I, those I, lucky few. Yeah. Anyways, you know, sad. Moving on. 
Um, so Splatoon had a bit of an announce, had a bit of a bit of a news update from the Nintendo Direct, and one of the new things they added to this to help it stand out from the first Splatoon was a co-op horde mode called Salmon Run. Uh, I don't know if or super interested in. It did look kind of fun, like one of the more fun co-op. Uh, but definitely helps um, Nintendo establish another big IP that they can help drive sales. Uh, and then this is, this one is probably the most surprising thing on the entire list for me is uh, Nintendo announced a new Nintendo 2DS XL. Um, I don't understand why they decided they were going to release another version of the 3DS after the Switch had already come out. When they're like planning on stopping production of 3DS games at like the end of this year, early part of next year. They are? They're, they're going to be slowing down for sure. Unless they had some other things they haven't announced yet. But everything else is like coming out the end of the year. I don't know. It's, it's just kind of a strange move that they're like releasing an entirely new 3DS platform already. Yeah. I mean, unless it's going to be a lot cheaper or like, it's, I mean, the 3DS $150. But yeah, that's exactly the same as everything else. I mean, I mean, to be fair, if like if you're not into the whole 3D aspect of the 3DS, this is actually going to be the best 3DS to buy. This is, but you don't have it, to have the 3D turned on. Oh yes, yeah, totally. Like most games now don't even offer the 3D functionality like the earlier 3DS games were, or like if they do, it's like so not even worth using. Like it offers nothing addition to what the game already is. Um, yeah, so like, if you're looking for the definitive 3DS experience, this might be the one to get. Especially now with, uh, I think the library is going to start wrapping up. They're going to start on it. So anything that you're really looking forward to getting, now is the chance to start looking for it before maybe prices start going up, as, as Nintendo things tend to do after a while. Yeah, but that's, that's that, I suppose. Uh, and then the last thing we have here is it's not really news, more of a, a speculation on something. Warner Brothers has been has a game has a posting for a game writer, Avalanche Studios, in which they quote unquote need a deep understanding of British culture because the project is going to be an Unreal Engine Four RPG. That requires the use of deep British under deep British culture. Now, when you go and look at Warner Brothers properties of things that require British culture, nothing really jumps out except for the Harry Harry Potter franchise. So I'm I'm wondering, you know, people have been speculating if maybe this is some sort of ongoing Unreal Engine for Harry Potter RPG. It would, awesome. would kind of make sense because Avalanche is the team that's been doing a lot of like movie and TV show adaptations. So it would kind of it it still fits into that line. I don't know. Like there, there's not really any substantial information on that suggests that that's what it could be. It's just kind of like oh that's eh, maybe it would it would make sense maybe. Which is since I feel like uh, J.K. Rowling has been branching out more and more and opening up the world for 
it would be awesome if that's like um I don't know how many how much like popularity it would actually get. I mean I think Harry Potter related stuff is still a big seller. I think so, but I don't know with video game players. Maybe. Uh, I'd be super into it just because I remember I have fond memories of the previous Harry Potter movie tie-ins. Uh especially yeah. the like uh the Sorcerer's Stone and the Chamber of Secrets games. Yeah. And then there's also that Quidditch game. Remember that one? My god, that Quidditch game. I love that Quidditch still game. Still in my top ten <laughs> favorite games. Yeah, like I, I played the crap out of the Quidditch game and Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Just because that Sorcerer's Stone game was like an open world adventure game, but it was like a it was like a Zelda clone. It was amazing. I love that game. If everyone, if I went back and yeah. played it now, it'd probably be terrible. But I still have fond memories of it. I, I think it would it would do well, but is it going to be like um, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. We, I, I don't want to criticize it before it even. We, we have like we have like no information to go on. It's just pure speculation at this point. It'd be cool to see them do it, though. Um, yeah. So that's uh, that's the end of our is this news segments. <laughs> Not all of it's news. Some of it's just rumors and speculation. But let's uh, let's move on to what we've been playing for the April. Um, I think I think the first thing we have here is uh, it's going to be a bit of an update on something that we were talking about last episode in depth, and that was uh, the Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. The early access battle royale game that came out just before we did our last episode. So I thought we should do like a one month follow up and just kind of talk about the new content and the kind of support we've been seeing from the game. Uh, any of you want to jump up first and just kind of start talking? Uh, go ahead, Noah. It's probably the first early access game I've seen in a while that actually follows a a model of an early access game. <laughs> I, I know what you mean, but it's still kind of funny when you say it that way. Because <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it's only been out to public for three, five, months. six weeks since early access oh. release. But yeah, there was a, there was a beta period for months before that even um but i mean there's weekly updates on the smaller side but then a big monthly update uh devs talk you know every other day through social media the reddit's pretty active uh the game runs well i mean like over 60 frames per second uh on max settings also time um (laughs) I mean, I haven't seen any issues with that so far. Hit detections, spot on. Uh, network connection may be spotty from sometimes, but overall feels like a polished AAA game. Uh, some of the vehicles are buggy. Um, <laughs> picking up items uh, a little buggy sometimes. Right, like, but I mean, the core mechanics of the game feel pretty spot on right now, and they've only been they've only had one patch so far after announcing public access to an early access game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
uh, you were, you were kind of just mirroring a lot of the thoughts I was having there where, yeah, there are issues with the game, but every one of those issues is quite minor for the most part. And so far, based on what I've seen the devs accomplish in just a month after since the game came out, I feel very confident that they would actually be able to iron out a lot of the small issues within a reasonable time frame. Uh, like like you mentioned, they've been doing weekly updates, and they even had like a big month end like end of the month kind of update kind of thing, which fixed a lot of issues. That was a great patch right there, and I'm definitely looking forward to uh, more content updates like that. Um, they've they've already came out and said that they plan on adding like at least one new gun a month. Uh, occasionally new vehicles and all that. So I personally, when this game came out a weeks ago, when we first talked about it, I was, I was saying how I think this is going to be the BR game, with the most potential to be great. And so far it's been living up to that potential for me. I, I totally agree with all, all that this out of all of the games like this, that we've played, um it's definitely the best and it's the one that like seems to have the least amount of time put in by the devs um meaning that like they just made this great game really fast and definitely has the most attention paid to by the devs which is awesome nothing but praise for them yeah uh the devs there at the blue hole have been pretty great um you mentioned how they've they've been you know fixing things i've seen like a bug get reported on the subreddit and like within a day they have a minor like a hot fix patch for that specific issue that very few people were having like it, it's pretty crazy how fast they got to work on that uh and like whenever the servers yeah whenever the servers start having issues and they start acting up they get it fixed within an hour it, they've been super fast on that and it's been good stuff I'm, Quite happy to see that the early access model is going well for them and is uh, can be used as an example of early access done right. Um, and I mean, something's obviously going well because they're in the top three most played games played continuum or contingent. Was it ambiguously? Yeah, the the game has been steadily rising in the, the player count on the Steam database, and uh, they're up. up. They, like 130,000? Yeah, they got to like 130,000 concurrent players and they've consistently been in the top three or four. And, you know, considering that you have competition like Counter-Strike and Dota and who knows what else is on there, uh, that's, it's super impressive. But, uh, and even on the uh, the Twitch side of things, the game has consistently been in the top like three or four of total people viewing the game, total people watching. So not only is it like being super successful from a player's point of view, but just as a like a show, as something to watch, it's been super successful. So, yep, def- definitely, definitely want to point towards this as a good example of an early access game from what we've seen so far. And I hope that uh, the devs can continue with the pace they've had uh, as the weeks and months go on, and hopefully, eventually, we get a actual battle royale game that can go through early access and reach a finished complete state and get released on the storefront. Uh, and before we move on, I just wanted to point out that there is a cool uh, charity event going on hosted by player unknowns battlegrounds on May the 4th, where a bunch of the biggest streamers and other 
top players from the ladder are going to be uh, teaming up and competing against each other for uh, charity events. So keep an eye on the uh, internets there on May the 4th. You should be able to see one of the two games that's going to be going on there. There'll be 32 teams of two from each region going at it. So it should be kind of fun to watch if you have uh, personalities that you like to follow. Well, that's going to go. And then moving on, uh, Michael, tell me about Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. I know you just um, picked it up, so I'd like to hear your uh, first impressions. I may or may not be playing it right now. <laughs> um, That's the Switch. I, I, uh, uh, I really like it, and I was never that, uh, like, into... I I always loved the Mario Kart games, but I was never into buying um, Nintendo consoles before this. So I haven't played a Mario Kart game since Mario Kart 64, um, which is a long time ago. <laughs> so going from that to this is a huge jump to the creativity they put into this game. Uh, I I'm really enjoying it. Um, I haven't played multiplayer yet because I don't think I'm good enough. Um, because I've seen some people play Mario Kart on multiplayer and they're like drifting mm-hmm. and doing all that. Um, but I have played a four-player split screen. We had some friends over the other night. Um, it was a lot of fun and uh, it made me get the game because it wasn't even my game at that point. It was my friend's game. And yeah, it made me buy that game, the game later that night. So, uh, great party game. I mean, you're gonna hate your friends after it for a while. That's what the best games do to you. I mean, it wouldn't be a Mario Kart if you weren't mad at your friends somehow. Yeah, I mean that Mario Kart and Mario Party make you hate your friends. <laughs> Damn it, Mario! What are you doing to us? Smash Bros. Smash Bros. Oh, yeah, Smash Bros. <laughs> uh. But yeah, this game's awesome. So I, I, I mean, if you, it, it's just like all the other Mario Karts. I, I don't know if it's any better than the last one because I haven't played the last one. But right, you can't really compare I, them then. Yeah. Fine idea. Because as long as the, uh, the, the split screen functionality of Mario Kart is good, then that is a good Mario Kart in my opinion. Yeah. The it it worked pretty well. It was really really weird playing with the tiny ass um, uh, switch controllers. Like only half of them. Right. Like only playing with one of the little controllers. Um, but it worked. It was just it was like playing with like a I don't know like holding a. It's hard to describe. It was really weird to play with only one of the controllers at one time, but you can do it. Um. But you could, if you wanted to, and you had a ton of money, you could buy four pairs and the controllers to come with it, and then everyone play with two. Because you can have um, up to four pairs connected or eight singular controllers. Kind of crazy to think about, actually. Yeah, I think you can have, um, like, eight people facing each other. It would just be really small screen. So, uh, thumbs up, uh, thumbs up all around. All right. Uh, d- brief. I'm just going to talk about a couple of things really briefly here. 
Um, been dipping my toes a bit into the the mobile games scene here and there, and I was kind of surprised when I discovered that there is a Power Rangers movie tie-in game called Power Rangers Legacy Wars, which was this like 2D fighting game that was actually pretty dang good. As as strange as that sounds, there was a good Power Rangers movie tie-in game on mobiles, on the mobile devices there. Uh, like the way the way it actually works though, like the way you can compensate for 2D fighting game mechanics is uh you have like these these like cards on the bottom of your screen that you can tap on to do certain moves. And certain moves are categorized in one of three ways. There's uh like yellow quick strikes, uh red heavy attacks, and then there's blue blocks. And there's like this rock, paper, scissors kind of mechanic where if you hit someone with a quick attack you can use it to interrupt a strong attack, but then a strong attack can break a guard, and a guard can block against a quick attack. So it's kind of kind of like this rock paper scissors thing that's going on. Uh, but there's there's like Power Rangers from all of the different seasons and even the villains as well that you can incorporate into the game. And there's actually like a like a Marvel versus Capcom kind of thing where um, when you go into a game it's not just one fighter versus one fighter but it's like a team of fighters versus another team of fighters so you can always you know like mix and match the different characters to kind of build your own strategies it 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 was kind of it was super weird like this free power rangers game was actually super fun to play on my lunch breaks um you're looking for just a very very dumb quick Thing to entertain you if you're if you have a couple minutes, I I would be willing to check it out. It's free to play, although I never felt like I was being abused by people that paid to win, just because it's it's very generous early on with the items you can get. Um, you you do get like free loot boxes after every single game you win, and you even get auto, even auto generates you loot boxes every t like four hours. So just by owning the game, you get free loot over time. You're never really falling behind in that sense. You always get new stuff. You can always be working on upgrading your characters. Um, it's kind of cool. Kind of cool. Check it out. Each game's like a minute long, so you can fit in a fight anywhere. Uh, and the other thing that I did briefly the other day was um, Heroes of the Storm had a big update that they called uh, Heroes of the Storm 2.0. And essentially what they did with the update was they... They added loot boxes and this big 20 hero bundle for free that you can get. So uh, for all returning players, you get 20 free characters that you can add to your roster. And uh, the loot boxes are very, very similar to the way Overwatch does them. Uh, m mainly cosmetic stuff. Sometimes you get a free skin, which is nice. Because uh, even if it's for a character you don't own, you still have the skin for when you do eventually own the character. Uh, it's pretty nice in that sense. Uh, but yeah, if you have if you've um if you have not been checking out Heroes of the Storm, at least right now for a while, uh I kinda just jumped back in and the all the changes that have been made for the game since the last time I checked it out like what like a year ago, maybe maybe not quite that long, but a while ago. Uh it does still feel like a very fresh take on the MOBA genre. It's still very fun to play with friends. Uh, very chill, very very relaxed. There's like no pressure whenever you go into one of the quick games can kind of just go in and play whatever you want without really any anxiety of maybe we're going to lose or or whatnot. So it's still very fun. Um, yeah, that's, that's all I really have to say on that. 
Uh, the the twenty hero, the free twenty hero bundle is temporary. I think it's only going on for another week or two. So if you are at all interested, you might want to check that out and just log in to at least claim the heroes. But then that's all I'm going to say on the that. It is what it is. If if you haven't checked out Heroes of the Storm, it's it's worth trying out since it. Is. Uh, but let's move on to the big, the big one, Michael. The one you and I have been playing. Wait, um, wait. Before we do that, go on. I do want to put in that I, uh, I, I got um one two switch also. Oh, week. you got the, okay. So for, for those that don't know what one two switch is, could you, could you explain it to us, Mike? It's it's hard to explain. It's so weird. Is it like the Wii Sports of the Switch? Uh, I think that's what it was supposed to be, but it isn't because it's not. It's Wii not. Sports was fun. <laughs> Wii Sports was actually fun. This game isn't fun. This game's not fun. Weird. Um, I, I got it thinking it'd be like decent party game. And, uh, you know, just stupid little things you could do, but it like... You remember when the Wii first came out and uh players didn't always pick up the motion and work as well as they were supposed to? No, they did not. Uh it's exactly like that with the Switch Ooh. and almost worse. So like I don't know if you've noticed playing any games you have for the Switch that uh the motion controls are sometimes a bit janky. I've not um, had that many problems with the motion controls, but I could be I could be lucky. Yeah. Well, no. Aim in Breath of the Wild. Uh, the the motion controls are pretty re refined, and you don't have to use them too much. They're pretty easy. Yeah. Um, but in this, it's like I don't know. Like it doesn't work right <laughs> most <laughs> of the time, and it's just awkward. And it like every game you're supposed to stare your opponent in the eye, and it's like. <laughs> oh jeez. I don't know. Like it's a laugh, but then it just gets awkward. Like it, it's funny at first, but then it gets to the point where you're like, I don't think we can play this game anymore. So uh honestly personally I don't think you'd get much more than like twenty minutes every time you try to play this game. Unless you're it's a bunch of little kids and they're having fun. But like as an adult, like I tried to play it like as a drinking game and it was like <laughs> It didn't even. Was the milk game at least fun? Oh my god, that game is so weird. <laughs> it doesn't even feel right either. Everyone was like, "What am I doing?" Uh, it was weird. I, you know, it was very intuitive. Like it was about all these games, and if everything would have worked right, or if they would have taken a different approach to a couple of the different games, it would have been better. Um, I don't recommend getting it. Still fifty dollars. Oh my, so, that's yeah. a lot for like a mini game bundle. Yeah, you this this should have came with the Switch, and you still wouldn't have played it. But it should have came with the Switch. <laughs> Even if it was free, I wouldn't be playing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean Wii Sports. I gosh, comparing this to Wii Sports is like Wii Sports was fun. Like you could. We sports at least had a couple of decent games that worked when Yeah. And uh No, this is it's it's really awkward. I I mean unless you're really like 
into I don't know. I don't recommend it. <laughs> gotcha. Well, that's uh that's one to switch. Uh so yeah, moving on to one of the unsurprisingly big hits for the Switch. Uh we have The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Now, this originally did come out at the very beginning of March, but because we had a little bit of trouble getting our Switches at first, and it's a long game, we haven't had an opportunity to talk about it until now. Uh, but I really want to kind of want to pick your brain, Michael. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild here, considering you, you've not really had much experience with other Zelda games, correct? This is like one of your first big ones? Yeah, this is uh, definitely the first one I'm going to beat, because I never beat the other ones. Uh, I I played one of them, I think, on the Nintendo 64, and I played one of them on the Wii, um, but I never got too much into them because I was, uh, for one, I didn't like playing the Wii too much, and two, back when I was playing on the Nintendo 64, I was really young, and I liked being outside more than I liked playing video games, surprisingly. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is basically my first Zelda game, and I I love this game. It's a lot. It's so much fun. It's everything that I've wanted, that I've always wanted in like a uh, open world game, and it does it pretty much perfectly. Yeah, I, and yeah, then the, the story right. of <laughs> the, the story of uh, Zelda is like, you know, it's pretty. Uh, the story of the Legend of Zelda. Sorry, um, it the games have normally been the same, like you know, save the princess, and then there's like minor details in between. Um, uh, I mean, still, this, to be uh, fair, it's kind of the same thing here. Then it's the, the you save the princess, yeah. but there's some minor details in between there. <laughs> <laughs> but I did like the I did like this, and uh, like they stay they totally stay true. They didn't try to do anything weird with the story or change anything they were like hey this works let's not try to fix what's not broken so i like that right yeah so um for for the most part nintendo has has actually you know come out and admitted that for the past couple legends on releases uh they've you know they've maybe focused on one thing too much and neglected other aspects of the game and it's it's led to a couple of other games which you know have have had a bit of uh a little bit of a divergence in the fan base on whether or not it's actually a good game or not. Uh, so with uh, with the Wii U and uh, the Switch coming around, they decided they were going to go back to the roots and make a Zelda game more in the vein of the original back on the NES that was with the concept of just pure adventure. Like, no holds barred, no, nothing to interrupt you and just exploring the world and finding what there is to find. Which has led to The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild having this very, very unique open world, which honestly has been very... I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but there's, just, there's... I've been playing a lot of open world games my entire life. you know, Like, a lot of them, and I love them. I have yeah. yet to have played a game that gave me as much freedom explore the open world as Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild has. Like, yeah. It, literally, when the game starts, it's just like, alright, have fun. You're just like sitting there yeah. looking over the cliff, you're like, wait, what do you mean, have fun? He's like, you know, just, just go, just go find stuff, have fun. 
oh, okay, bye. I'm going on an adventure. Bill Baggins, you know, like I'm just going to go out and explore the world. And they designed the world in a way you would just find distraction after distraction after distraction after distraction, and it just never ends. Yeah. Like, like, it's especially, a, after, especially after you get past the quote unquote three hour tutorial that's in the game that doesn't even feel like a tutorial. The world just opens up so much. Like it, it's super overwhelming efforts. Yeah. I, the, even, even the tutorial zone was huge and like, like you said, it didn't feel like a tutorial. It was like, it didn't really tell you where to go, what to do. It was like, go find this stuff. And you're like, where is it? And they're like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> go look, go look for interesting things. You'll probably find it eventually. And, uh, yeah, if you've, if you play this game and you manage to stay like free of like spoilers and free of, uh, like other people telling you where stuff is and what to do in the game, it's totally all up to you, how you play this game and how you figure out what you need to do. And that's awesome. Like, it does not hold your hand at all. Like, you have to figure things out. Like, how do I survive this climate? How do I do this all by yourself? It, uh, obviously, it's helpful sometimes they, to have they, tips. They do but... give you some subtle hints, which really, really does help. Yeah. Um, like, uh, like for example, um, up on the, on the Great Plateau, when uh, you're supposed to be going up into the snowy region for the, the, the shrines up there. Um. I don't know if you know this, but right there at the entrance to the snowy area, there's a couple of pepper bushes. Yeah. It's just like, hint, hint, you need these. To figure out what to do with them. Um, It's really cool how they they do stuff like that. Like, uh, there's also, like, multiple ways to accomplish a lot of the puzzles in the game. Uh, Like, for example, to get up in the, the snowy area, you know, peppers are one option, but there's another option. That involves um, finishing like a side quest for an old man. Uh, so like that's another option for getting through the snowy. Uh, but you can like even do none of them and just kind of brute force it, and you still get rewarded for like, completing it that way. Like it's pretty flexible in the way you can handle every single situation in the game. Um, but before we like, really dive into more of those mechanics, um, just kind of want to touch a little bit on the story. You know, try to try to say wary of the spoilers we're not gonna really like say exactly what happens but uh i think yeah you've gone decently far enough in the game where we can maybe talk a little bit about the the dynamic of the present compared to the events that happened 100 years previously in the game's timeline um i was just curious you know you've you've already had a chance to meet a couple of the characters that are now and the characters that were 100 years ago I'm just curious to see if you had any preference or any characters that really stood out to you as making your adventure that much better. Um, I mean, there's some, there's some pretty interesting people that you can run into in the game already. Uh, like, uh, beetle, the bard (laughs) and good old beetle (laughs) and the different, uh, I mean the different, Cult, I, I guess cultures almost. Um, yeah, the, the, not the, the people, way the different races like, are. The town of uh, the Gerudo women. Um, mm-hmm. Were that was uh, wait I did the Gerudos. They are Gerudo, right? Yeah, that like that was 
um, really interesting and it really cool on like how you had to figure out how you were going to get into their city because they only let women in and uh, I, I think they did they were really uh, creative with uh, a lot of their character design like uh, that I hadn't seen in a lot of different games like there was humor to things and there was you know um very subtle humor to other things and then there's a uh, of course the maraca guy who's just awesome love has to <laughs> and i then, i uh, can't help but shake and dance whenever he uh he plays his little song yeah and then there's a uh, they made some interesting choices with some characters like the great fairies i did not expect them to look like that or sound like that but uh, it's it's kind of uh, a throwback to how they were in the 64 Zelda games, sort of. Oh, okay. They were big and kind of creepy looking at times. But it, oh. it kind of makes sense. Oh. They, they serve their purpose well. And it's really weird to have um, voices in the That's right, yeah. This is the, uh, the first main Zelda game to feature uh, voice acting. In a, at a reasonable amount. Um, you really only get to hear the voice acting during like story missions, so it's not that often. Maybe once every couple hours you'll get something. Um, yeah. But yeah, so like uh, basically um, without really spoiling it, like you know uh, like Zelda and some of her companions are voice acted and uh, sometimes like the chiefs of the towns you'll meet will be voice acted, but that's that's about the extent of it. It's not I wouldn't say it's fully voice acted, but the, the key characters are voice acted at the key times. Except Link, and of course. Being um new to most things in the land of Hyrule, I had never met like um the uh uh the bird people. I don't remember what they're called. Ritos. The Ritos and the uh the fish people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. What are they called again? The Zoras? Ah, uh, that's what see. Fish people. I haven't played it. I haven't played it in like a week. So Shame. Uh, you can't blame me. Um <laughs> I, I can't. And <laughs> even the uh the Gorons, every they're all cool. Like I I didn't expect, I don't know, to see um humanoid like things. Um, in a game like this, but then again, I guess I never was that into Zelda, so I don't really know what I'm talking. About. It's it's fine. It's understandable. Um, and the 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 way they did environment in this game, uh, environmental factors like rain and uh, weather and temperature and all that is uh very un- <laughs> It's not unique. As yeah. in, like, it's not the first game to do temperature, but it's unique in the way they did it, I think. It definitely feels like the most naturally integrated out of all the games I've played. Yeah. It's like, you know, naturally, oh, I'm going to wander into this desert over here. Of course the temperature's going to start rising. You better, you know, start wearing thinner clothes, you know, bring some, bring some hydration with you, something to cool you down. Uh, then yeah. the other side of the spectrum, you're like, oh, I'm going to start hiking up this snowy mountain. Well, you you know you better bring your puffy snow gear and uh, bring some chilly curry with you or whatever. You're gonna need that to warm you up. 
Like it, it yeah. all make it all makes sense. It all just feels very natural. Like the when you go in between different regions of the world, it just feels so natural. Which really, you know, if Breath of the Wild being the theme of it, like everything's part of this very natural ecosystem of nature. Uh, so hey, uh, yeah, go ahead. That this game, like, uh, it just has so many new things. Um, that's unique to it. Like when Skyrim first came out, there was so much you could do in this, and then this game just takes it to another level with all this, all the stuff you can do. And uh, like it, it takes, it would take. <laughs> there's 900 seeds. Like, <laughs> what do you, you have to find? You don't have to find all those, but nobody's you got time could for that. Go out and just find all 900 seeds, and I won't tell you what you get if you do. Spoiler alert, you don't want to. Don't don't tell them that. They want to. They should. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so um as far yeah, as far as uh, the collectibles go, um one of the one of the core themes that have made Zelda games Zelda games have been the dungeons. And they've oh, yeah. they've actually, you know, changed up dungeons quite a bit in this game. Um Rather than having like the, the traditional like maybe eight to ten major dungeons, they've cut it in half. So now there's only like four proper dungeons in the game. Uh, but then they've included all sorts of very dungeon-esque puzzles elsewhere in the game, uh, out in the open world, as well as in these uh, standalone mini dungeons called the shrines. Um, so like you still have as much, if not more, of the dungeoneering aspect. In this game, it's just spread out a lot, so you don't have like these iconic areas like you used to in the previous Zelda games. You know, like oh, I like the Forest Temple, that was my jam. Well, there's not really a Forest Temple in this game, but there's, you know, maybe there's a dozen or so shrines which have a very similar kind of theme to them that kind of go along with what you're what you're like. Like maybe there's a fire-based puzzles or uh, weight puzzles, you know, various stuff like that. Um, so like part of the challenge is trying to go and find all 120 shrines out there in the world. And that's, that's part of the exploration where you can just be wandering around a mountain and all of a sudden you stumble upon this ancient structure that has a puzzle inside you need to go solve. So like that just kind of fuels back into the whole exploration aspect of the game and how it's better than ever, better than ever now. Uh, I just wanted to, you know, kind of hear your thoughts. Uh, I know you haven't done all the main dungeons yet, but you've done a, a couple of them. Uh, how how would you rate your experience with the the couple of dungeons you've done and the the shrines? The shrines are um, definitely great mini puzzles. Like some of them are pretty difficult to figure out. Some of them are really easy, and I think the range of difficulty on them is perfect um, mm -hmm. for how many I've done. Uh, I think that it's really well done. Um, like if they challenged you too much, people would get frustrated and like not even try them. But there's just enough challenge and just enough ease to them to where you're like, okay, I think I can go out and find all these. Um, mm -hmm. The main dungeons um, are really cool and awesome puzzles that like, but living puzzles almost that are. It's just yeah, you know, it's never never something I really thought about, but just awesome all at the same time i and 
don't and like a like again with the shrines they're not it's not too difficult you shouldn't have to look up how to beat them you should be able to figure out by yourself um if they're not with a trial and error basically and it's oh it was it was yeah. just really awesome to, to go through because of how creative they were with it yeah i i think my only real gripe with the dungeons and stuff is how um those main dungeons, like you said, when you're like the build up to them is incredible, and you're like super pumped to get inside of them because, like, just from the outside, you're like, "Oh man, this is gonna be epic! I'm so hyped for this." And then sometimes they're a little shorter than I expected, a little, a little too easy. Um, not necessarily yeah. in the combat, but they're just like, "Oh, yeah, the the puzzles in here are super straightforward." You know, I, I can just kind of breeze through it, and I don't really get a chance to take in all the scenery that they're providing me. But uh, it's, it's a relatively minor complaint, and. I understand why they did it the way they did in this game. It makes makes sense. Um, but yeah, for the for the most part, even though I've only done like three quarters of the shrines so far, maybe not even that, a little under that. But I I feel like the the range of the shrines, like you said, it's pretty good. Um, there's there's a couple that are definitely too easy where you walk in and it's like you gotta press this button and then you reach the end. Okay, I don't know why it was even worth creating this area here but okay uh but then there then are there's, there are others that are the, and then there's the ones that even like the the problem the puzzle isn't even the shrine it's how to get to the shrine or how to open up the shrine and then you get in and it's like oh you have the shrine i mean you don't need to do anything just by getting here you earned it and yeah those it, are cool some of those are kind of annoying in a sense where it's like okay i, I unlocked the shrine after doing this side quest so let's go down to the shrine you go into a loading screen and then you load into the shrine and it's like, here's an item. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye. Okay. Did I have to go to a loading screen for a single item? Yeah. Okay. But, uh, you know, again, it's a pretty minor complaint, all things considered. Uh, it, it doesn't break the flow too badly because, you know, loading into it's not as bad as loading into the entire overworld, but still, um, I kind of want to, I kind of want to get into, um, some of the other, aspects of the the game uh mainly the combat um kind of curious to see how you think the combat is i know a lot of people have uh word for it mixed mixed opinions on the the weapon breaking mechanic in the game uh how how was that for you like, did you mind the weapons breaking on you all the time um it's annoying but it's also a feature I've had to deal with in other games. Um, this game isn't is pretty uh, generous, I guess you could say, with how many weapons it will give out. Not necessarily meaning they're all good weapons, but you'll never really run out of weapons as long as you're picking them up. Um, I I never liked the whole durability thing on weapons and armor and shields in any game mm -hmm. so i don't know i always i've always had a negative opinion on them but uh it wasn't too bad in this it's manageable in this unlike the games where you have to like after one fight you have to go repair all your yeah it's 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 kind of like that in a sense where there have been times where i get into one fight and then by the end of the fight i already have to throw away my weapon because it's damn much but 
I will say the the positive of the the weapon durability system is that it really did encourage me to use a wide variety of tools. Uh, I'm always constantly switching between spears and clubs and hammers and my swords and claymores and stuff like that all the time. I'm never using just one sword, even with the master sword. I'm always switching back between different things for different reasons for different enemies, which is pretty cool. Um, at first, I was really worried because I had issues keeping enough weapons to keep my inventory full. But uh, that definitely um, fixes itself once you start getting further into the game. The weapons definitely get a little bit more durability on them once you move from like stick weapons to metal weapons. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, definitely less of an issue the later into the game goes. But then you run into the issue where you don't have enough inventory slots. And so you're constantly having to throw away very good weapons because you found a slightly better weapon, but I guess that's a good problem to have rather than having a bunch of crappy weapons that you need to get rid of. I'd rather have too many good weapons. Yeah. Um, I kind of kind of pains me to throw them away, but it is what it is. I, I didn't like how you started. You started out with so little inventory. Right, like so, it, it's like four bow slots, four shield slots, and five weapon slots, or something like that. Something like that, and then you have to go find so many seeds to uh, those back. Oh, I mean, I tell you, the the requirement to start upgrading your weapon slots later on it gets ridiculous. Yeah. Oh god, like I'm at like twenty something now. Yeah, my sure. next upgrade is like, I need 25 seeds to get another weapon slot. It's like, Jesus, do you know how many seeds I've actually gotten? I've only gotten like a total of 70 so far. Yeah, like, you, like a, you want me to, to like, just like a seeds. go get another four for my seeds? I'll see you in like 10 hours. But again, like even uh, even that, collecting the little Korok seeds there is a bunch of mini puzzles in themselves almost. You'll just kind of randomly stumble upon them. It's, and there's stuff like, you know, uh, I think the best example of a quark puzzle are the ones where it's uh, the metal blocks and you have to like move the block to match an identical block. You know what I'm oh, talking yeah. about? That's probably the yeah. best example. Although there are some stupid ones where it's like, shoot these balloons. Okay. Oh, yeah. I waste like fucking like 50 arrows on just trying to get one seed and I get pissed. And then there are the others where it's like, lift up this rock to get a quark seed. Thank you. It's like, okay. <laughs> I didn't have to do anything for this, but I'll take the free seed. You're willing to give it away to me. Um, but, but yeah, it's, you know, overall, I would say Legend of Zelda was very ambitious, especially for a Nintendo title. Like, I, I never expected a game like this to come from Nintendo. Ever. And yeah, I'm, they I'm, broke a lot of new ground. I'm very glad they did, though, because in my opinion, just, just from the open world design and the freedom of movement that they give you that alone is setting a new bar for all open world games in my opinion like I, i've gone into other open world games since starting legend of zelda and all i want is that parachute to glide around from mountain to mountain and they don't have it yeah and it just it kills me where i'm just like oh my god i just want to jump off this mountain and glide over because it's so much faster but i can't in this game it's not a thing like I, I'm, I'm spoiled now because of uh, the way this world is designed um, not not to knock other open world games because I'm sure they have their own reasons for restricting movement from time to time, but I definitely appreciate what this game does and what hopefully hopefully what it ends up leading to in the future. 
Um, I don't know if there were any other pros or cons that we forgot to touch on. I, I, do you have anything else that you want to add on that? I think so. The cooking system was really cool. Oh yeah, we didn't we didn't mention the cooking uh, system. Uh, the, yeah, so like the crafting in this game isn't really crafting. The only thing you can really put together is different food recipes into a pot. But that can lead to a lot of unique things. You can use that to create uh, speed enhancing elixirs, uh, heat resistance, cold resistance, or just plain food that heals you up, a food that also gives you temporary health. Um, I did like how forgiving the cooking system was at times. I was, I was worried at first going in that I was going to be like, I'm just going to throw this food in the pot. And it's not going to taste good at all. But it, it's pretty forgiving. You can throw... As long as you throw something that doesn't contradict with other ingredients, you should be fine. Yeah. Uh, you can make some pretty interesting things. Uh, and I, I think I've only made the, the food, like the dubious food, which is just a bunch of... like It only gives you like what, one heart or so back because you messed up this recipe so bad that the food is like inedible almost i like how they um, uh they like pixelate the image because it's, like, it's too bad to look at we're just gonna pixelate it yeah <laughs> it's a cute little effect i've there. only made it like three times and uh it, it's it's just super lenient for sure and uh the the amount of like freaking items food items that are in this game are also crazy there's like so many different things that you can use for food and the fishing and i don't know this game broke a lot of uh a lot of barriers that uh other games before this have put up not necessarily intentionally they put it up but mm -hmm. that it's great it's broken a lot of new ground that hopefully people follow hey kid you see that mountain over there you can actually go to that mountain we're not lying right now. You can actually do it. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. <laughs> um, I do want to say one more thing before we uh, close out on the Breath of the Wild discussion there. Um, without going into spoilers, um, the character of Zelda. In the past games, she's been very, like, very Mary Sue-like, how she's just really good at what she's supposed to do, which is being the princess and already having the power to defeat Ganon with your help. Uh this interpretation of Zelda is probably one of my it's probably my favorite interpretation of the character. How she she's in an inexperienced person like yourself. And so throughout the game you feel like she's growing with you in a sense the few times you encounter her. Uh I really I really appreciated her the way she, they uh, they had her in this game, she, she's just not like oh she's she's not just a powerful character right at the gate like she she's vulnerable at very various times and you have to save her sure but there are, there are other times where she steps up and she has to help you out and it really helps the two of you grow. Uh, I thought I thought that was great. I just want to mention that uh, for those that are looking to start the game, you may you may find an appreciation for the way they handled Zelda in this as opposed to the previous games. Uh, but that's that's my closing statement on the game. I don't know if there's anything else you guys want to add or if we should uh, move on to what's coming up next. 10 out of 10. <laughs> there we go. 
closing statement. Uh, so moving on to the uh, the upcoming game releases for the month of May. Titles that you have to look forward to include the Prey reboot, uh, Minecraft for the Switch, uh, Injustice 2, the uh, sequel to Injustice Gods Among Us, uh, the DC fighting game, a lot like Mortal Kombat. Uh, you have The Surge, which is a Souls-like sci-fi game from the makers of uh what is that lords of the fallen from that guy from those guys then we have friday the 13th the game an asymmetric survival horror multiplayer game and there's star trek bridge crew for the vr headsets which we've already uh we were just before the show we were watching some uh some gameplay videos of some people watching Star Trek Bridge Crew, and it looked like a hilarious time for your buddies there. Granted, you have enough VR headsets, but uh, yeah, it def- yeah, def- definitely is a good time. Expensive time. An expensive, but good time. And uh, let me just do a quick check to make sure there's nothing else super noticeable coming up. I mean, I mean, there's there's obviously a lot more stuff, but you can mention once. I, I think that's good. Um, so. Uh, closing statements here on the uh, the Austin Jurassic Podcast. Uh, we are part of the Podcast Empire Network, uh, home of many other podcasts, including Shanlin on Batman, Lords of Film, and Hey Entertain Me. Uh, if you're a fan of any of those shows or just this one, consider going over to patreon.com forward slash Podcast Empire Network and uh, checking out some of the rewards there for uh, supporting us, including getting a shout out at the end of every episode or other bonuses there that are listed on the site. Uh, so if you like what you are hearing and want to give us a little bit of support, that's the place to do it. Uh, but until next time, I think that's going to wrap up this show. We hope to see you guys uh, for the next episode where we are going to be previewing the upcoming E3 event, doing a little bit of breakdown of all the different publishers and what we might be able to expect from their shows. Uh, so we're definitely getting to that exciting point where it's like gamers Christmas all over again. Definitely, uh, definitely look forward to E3 every year, and we're we're almost there. Another another month and a half to go. So until then, have a good evening, everybody. Wake me.